Hello, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host, Roger Hudson. And I'm Yimin Chen, along with Roger. Tonight, we have a guest. His name is Matt Maksud. Matt, welcome to our show. Hi, I'm great. Feel great to be here. Thank you. So I've noticed uh, you're wearing a sh- t-shirt with a brain on it. It says neuroscience. Is uh, that by any chance the faculty you come from? It actually is, and it is a faded shirt because I've been here about four years. So, you know, it's all yeah. good. <laughs> so, You'll never leave. So, so you wear it. You wear it a lot then. I wear it every day. Every day that you're in the lab, or just every, every... day? Yeah, it's my only shirt. Wow. Why yeah. does it ever get washed? I... Yeah. No. What? Huh? I mean, that's that's just the sorry state of graduate student funding at this fine institution. Well, that's a great save there, Yemen. But, uh, you know, all sad, true jokes aside, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you do here at the university, Matt? Yeah, so like Yemen said, I'm a neuroscientist, so I'm doing my PhD in neuroscience, and I mainly look at the brain's immune cell, which is the microglia. That's in- cool. Interesting. So uh, the microglia, is this uh, specifically and only found in the brain? Um, so the microglia cell is, but throughout the body you have other immune cells that are almost identical, some differences, uh, to the microglia, which are macrophages, which you may know. Okay, so that's, I guess they serve a very similar function, um, going to the site of inflammation or exactly. injury and trying to fix the things that go so on there. Micro- so, so macrophages, these are white blood cells for those of us who only took maybe high school biology? They are a type of white blood a cell, A type yes. of white blood cell. All right, excellent. Yes. Yeah, so there's some differences between microglia and macrophages. I won't get into all of them. Okay. But there is a main one, which is just their morphology. So in the brain, microglia are widely dispersed, and they have this widely ramified morphology, which essentially means that they just have a lot of processes. And what these processes do is they wrap around neurons, they touch different synapses, they just sort of measure whatever's happening in their microenvironment and then they respond to inflammation like roger mentioned they can migrate they can eat neurons other structures within the brain yeah so they're a pretty cool cell type a very feared cell type they can eat you oh yeah i'm guessing they can engulf entire neurons so are they bigger or do they just stretch a lot they are micro okay as the name says right exactly yeah so they're one of the smaller cell types within the brain and yeah, so they have these long processes, and when they do try to engulf neurons, they actually retract these like branch-like structures, and then they essentially become larger, and then they can engulf these neurons and damage so, cells. So are the microglia a one-off kind of process when they uh, absorb or eat that neuron? Now they're really big. Can they ever return back down to their micro self by, I guess, uh, getting rid of the waste that they've just accumulated, or yeah, are they so done now? I would believe so, yeah. So they definitely degrade um, whatever they engulf and they recycle it. Everything's made up of amino acids, right? So they can just recycle it back into, it's called homeostasis, essentially, back into your body, yeah. Interesting. Do cells poop? Is that how they might eliminate some of this excess mass when they uh, eat or engulf other cells? Exocytosis would be the closest thing I could think of to a cell pooping. Okay. So yeah, they just secrete they secrete whatever is in these tiny vesicles out into their environment, which, yeah, would be that's, considered That's all I wanted to know. Thank you so much. Yeah. But I'm assuming they wouldn't just put it back into the environment that they no. took it from. They would, okay. They'd break it down, maybe send it as like a neurotransmitter or other 
types of proteins. So they don't do it where they eat is what you're saying. Not necessarily. (laughs) I would hope not. (laughs) That's good hygiene for anyone listening. You should never uh, poop where you eat or eat where you poop for that matter. So how do you study microglia in the brain, Matt? Yeah, so we have a wide variety of techniques in our lab. So we do immunohistochemistry, which is just staining for them. So by doing this, we can look at their morphology, what they look like. Um, We also, besides that, we can culture them. So in our lab, we have mice. Um, We have wild-type mice, which Mm -hmm. is just your normal house mouse. And we have a big aspect that I look at is nitric oxide signaling. So nitric oxide is widely produced within a variety of different cells within the body, and microglia produce nitric oxide. And the main enzyme that they use to produce nitric oxide is called INOS, inducible nitric oxide synthase. So when these cells respond to an inflammatory event, even during just normal developmental processes, they express INOS, they produce nitric oxide. And what I generally do is look at how nitric oxide regulates their function. So to do this, I mainly look at ion channels. Without getting too in-depth into that topic, the basis is for a cell to function, it needs calcium to enter into the cell. And there's a bunch of different ions, ion channels, that allow for calcium to enter. And I just look at how nitric oxide regulates different ion channels within microglia specifically. And is the calcium what is activating the, the, I guess, synthesis of the nitrous oxide within the cell? So interestingly, no. When INOS is present, when it's active, it's constitutively active. So it all, it's always active. It's always producing nitric oxide. There's other types of NOS called NNOS, ENOS, neuronal nitric oxide synthase, and endothelial nitric oxide synthase, and these rely on calcium to be active. So that's the interesting thing about microglia. So something that I found is that nitric oxide actually activates these cells to become more phagocytic. So during an inflammatory event where pathogens may be entered, even during stroke when you have a lot of damaged tissue, these cells are producing nitric oxide, they're becoming dramatically active, and they're going to continue being active to engulf pathogens, engulf damaged tissue, debris. So it seems that uh, the nitrous oxide signaling is really ramped up during injury or during these important events within the brain. And this is what's really, I guess, signaling for the microglia to come in and clean up the mess or to fix what's going on, whatever the problem is. Exactly. Nitric oxide. Nitric so, oxide. Yeah. So nitric is <laughs> one nitrogen, one oxygen. Nitrous is two nitrogens and one, if I'm right, I may not be right. So if okay. anybody knows chemistry, <laughs> I'm sorry if that's wrong. Right, and nitrous is what we might know as laughing gas, exactly. as opposed to nitric, which is not. Yes. Okay. Very different things then. Yes. <laughs> so can you give us an idea of how this signaling works? Like, um, are microglia sort of distributed all around the brain, or do they get the signal and then move towards, you know, sites of these injury or inflammation, or how is that? So, yeah, everything you said is right. <laughs> oh, everything. They're, yes. Okay. You should just be in my position right now. Let's just start interviewing you. When are you changing programs, you know? I mean, I could just pick up more degrees. That's <laughs> could be a plan in life. Yeah, so microglia are widely expressed throughout the entire nervous system, even in the spinal cord, uh, cerebellum, hippocampus, everywhere. Um, 
So yeah, they can respond to damaged tissue, like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the methods, just going back to before, one of the methods that we also look at in our lab is electrophysiology. So what this sort of entails is recording ion flow through a cell. And the way we can do that is just culture these microglia and then patch them to be able to record the ion flow within one specific cell. And the way we can sort of look at how these ion channels function is by perfusing in nitric oxide or perfusing in different ion channel inhibitors and seeing how these microglia, how the conductance within these microglia change. So you're sort of changing the sort of chemical and gas environment around these cells to see how they react. Yeah, so um, from one study that I conducted, I perfused an NO, and I saw that there was just large conductance that emerged in microglia. Um, it's very interesting. We further found out that it was a trip channel, specifically trip V2. Okay. And from the literature, we know that this channel is also important for phagocytosis, which I mentioned earlier. So that's bringing back the whole link between how nitric oxide production is important for microglial phagocytosis. So phagocytosis, that's where they, they eat Yes. Other cells, like the, the damaged cells and so exactly, on. Exactly, yeah, okay. pathogens, damaged cells. So you were talking about conductance earlier. What, what does that mean in terms of these microglial cells? Yeah, so the conductance, it the body's made up of different ions. Every cell has its ionic environment. So okay. within cells, there's calcium, sodium, potassium. Outside of cells, there's also calcium, sodium, potassium at different concentrations, though. So when an ion channel is open, specifically these trip channels... It, they allow for the flow of potassium, sodium, and calcium, all these positive ions, to flow through the ion channel. So when we patch these microglia cells and we record the ions flowing through, we can actually see what ion is flowing, how much of it, depending on how large the conductance is, and then we can add inhibitors that are specific for these channels to figure out what is being active specifically. So you're kind of, kind of looking at the electric charge across the membranes. The, cell, the membranes, yes. the cell membranes. And then by blocking certain ions, you're changing how the charges work, how they, exactly, they, they yeah. propagate and move on? We, tr- we try to narrow down what we're actually looking at first. Okay. And then we try to manipulate it with nitric oxide, which is mainly my experiment, or other agonists, antagonists for microglial activity. Hmm. Cool. So is it the nitrous oxide itself which is inducing the activation of the microglia, or in some way is nitrous oxide acting through the trip V channels that, that you were speaking of earlier to kind of indirectly activate the microglia? Are they both kind of contributing to it's, that? It's sort of both, yeah. So what we've mainly found is that nitric oxide produced by microglia or even from other cells, so like from surrounding cells, can go towards activating these trip channels. And how that mainly happens is through a trafficking mechanism. So this trip B channel is mainly within the cell. And in response to nitric oxide, it can traffic, it can move these trip channels from inside the cell to the plasma membrane where it then becomes active and allows for ions to flow through the cell. Hmm. So that allows for more calcium to enter, the microglia become more phagocytic. And that's how that happens. Very interesting. Yeah. Now, now we're talking a lot about, you know, the nitty gritty of this, yes. the cells, the, you know, different slices that you're using and oh, the yeah. technology with the electrophysiology. But where do you actually get these cells or these slices from yeah so we i mentioned this before we have uh, two different we have three different types of mice in our lab actually uh, we have this wild type mouse which is your normal house mouse and then we have uh, this inos knockout mouse 
So because I mentioned before, INOS is present within microglia. So we have this knockout mouse to sort of see how these microglia respond when this enzyme's not there. Uh, we also have an NNOS knockout mouse. Um, actually, our producer works in the same lab as me. That's me. Our producer, Vicky Telios, for those that, yep. Yeah, and uh, she, she mainly looks at the NNOS knockout mouse. But yeah, so the way I, I get my cells is we take pups. So they're one to four days old, very tiny, very okay. cute. And um, yeah, so we just culture the cortices. So the cortex of these brains, it's kind of gross, but uh, yeah, we culture them and we grow them in a flask. And the cool thing about it is the microglia, they actually attach onto an astrocyte monolayer. So an astrocyte's another glia cell okay. within the brain. So under culture conditions, you have like this astrocyte monolayer and then microglia are like tiny little cells that attach onto this monolayer and then we shake the cells and only the microglia detach. And yeah, we can isolate them that way and then we can run all these fancy experiments. So you're pretty much growing a, a, a side brain inside of a Petri dish and just shaking off the yes. excess and taking that. Wow, yeah. so cool. It is pretty cool, actually, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier, you, you said you patch these microglial cells. Are you literally putting teeny tiny little patches, like sensors, onto the cells to measure their um, yeah, you know, conductivity? So that's pretty much what we do actually yeah so we have electrodes and it's mainly a very 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 tiny tiny glass pipette okay that we bring up to the cell surface we use a microscope obviously and right. then we touch the cell with this glass pipette and then we sort of suck the membrane to break it and then once the membrane's broken it becomes one with the inside of the the pipette if that makes any sense and then we can record the ions within this, that specific cell. And then we can apply drugs and see how the ions flow through this specific cell. And can you give us an idea of how tiny these microglia are? Um, yeah, so they're very micro. Right, <laughs> like the name might imply. Um, yeah, I'm, I've been actually looking at a lot of images that I've taken over the past. Mm -hmm. And they are no bigger than like... 10 microns so very tiny very tiny relative to say a millimeter how, how big would 10 microns be <laughs> thousands of times smaller wow if my math is correct <laughs> okay and say compared to maybe um your average brain cell like a neuron or something yeah is, is that much smaller than that it's maybe a fifth of the size. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's very tiny. And so you said you, you sort of poke these with a tiny glass pipette. Yeah. Do you so, do that manually? Um, so we have a machine that, okay. it's sort of a, it's a stage essentially to keep it still. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine trying to hold a pipette with your hands, you'd be shaking like crazy. Right, yeah. So it is a very delicate process. Um, it's very intricate, and not many labs are capable of doing it, especially with this tiny cell type. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess when you say not too many labs, for reference, how many labs, I guess, would use this uh, so, type of patch clamp electrophysiology that you use? As far as I know, within Canada, there's only two labs that can do it. Wow. There's one lab in Toronto, and then there's obviously the lab I'm in. That's so, incredible. Yes, thank you. It's <laughs> nice to hear. No, it must be very, very difficult if only two labs in all of Canada can, can be using it. Uh, I would say more time consuming 
and depressing. <laughs> okay. It's not really hard, but just time-consuming and depressing. <laughs> but some questions, you need to use a time-consuming process, and that's the only way to get the exactly. efficient answers. So. Yeah, especially when we're looking at such molecular sort of things within the microglia. You can't just look at, use other techniques to look at what we look at. So I'm sure many, many scientists in your field are thanking you for the time that you're putting into... <laughs> I, I like to think so, yeah. So how did you end up learning this really exclusive technique? So yeah, my supervisor, uh, Dr. Wei Yang Lu, he's from Toronto, actually really good friends with the lab that also patches microglia. Okay. So yeah, he's an electrophysiologist by heart, by trade. And yeah, so he had a postdoc in the lab um, and I learned from her how to do it. It was a crash course um, over the span of a week and uh -huh. I did not learn a lot because there's just, I still don't think I know enough to con be considered an electrophysiologist, but mm -hmm. I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> so it was a lot of sort of trial and error. Did you poke a lot of tiny microglia cells before oh, yeah. you, you got the hang of it? Um, thousands. Oh, wow. Lots of wasted resources, but <laughs> knowledge is power, I guess. And I Absolutely. feel like I obtained a lot over <laughs> a lot of power and error. Yes. <laughs> well, that's wonderful then. Um, and so just quickly going back into the cell. Oh, yeah. Back to, to the actual research. Uh, there's several different processes that are involved in, uh, I guess, maintaining the cell structure and the morphology mm -hmm. and, you know, responding to the inflammation that we've been talking about. Would nitrous oxide signaling that, that your lab specifically looks at, would it be dependent on the nitrous oxide signaling or would there be other products that might uh, take over for nitrous oxide in the absence of it? I, I know you mentioned your knockout models, which would take out the nitrous oxide from these cells. Yeah, so um, that's a great question. Um, like I mentioned before, there's a bunch of different enzymes that can produce NOS. Um, and NOS, ENOS. So when one NOS is knocked out, you may have compensation over expression of these other NOSs to sort of compensate for the fact mm. that one NOS is okay. missing. Um, as far as my work goes, um, within these INOS knockout mice, we actually see their morphologies dramatically different. So under normal conditions, I mentioned they're highly ramified and they have all these processes that expand out into their surroundings. But in this INOS knockout mouse, they're a very amoeboid, they're very round, they have a lot less processes compared to normal microglia, and that's actually very interesting. Uh, we've also, so part of my project, I inject the mice with LPS, which is an endotoxin. And um, from these experiments, you can see that if we look at the wild-type mice, they, after about eight hours after this LPS injection, they're really happy. They're like walking around. Hmm. Whereas these knockout mice, they're like curled up in the corner of the cage in their house. Oh. They're like deep breathing. They're very sick. They're not happy at all. So they have this, this lack of defense against this toxin that we injected into them. And it's mainly because this lack of INOS that's present. Wow, so you're able to show that that specific type of nitrous oxide, or I guess the synthase uh, mechanism for that nitrous oxide, yes. is specifically responsible for protecting against that LPS toxin that exactly. you're injecting into it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, with all this stuff, if we pull back a bit to the more sort of human level day-to-day -day scale, um, what sort of things could we do with this knowledge that you're finding out with this control over 
uh, over NOS and NO and so on. Like, what's th what's maybe the bigger picture in that your research is situated in? Yeah, so I look at the very, very molecular sort of like building blocks of how these cells work, but mm -hmm. applications to this work is almost any type of neurological disease you hear about. There's a lot of like inflammatory markers that are present, um, Alzheimer's disease, um, even Parkinson's, uh, schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. You have a bunch of like uh, TNF-alpha produced and a lot of inflammation. Where is it coming from? Maybe microglia. So I'd like to think... Maybe this is like an egocentric view, but I believe microglia are at least implicated in a wide variety of these neurological disorders because of their ability to regulate the infl inflammatory system within the brain. So are you saying that it is possible that microglia being sort of like the maintenance workers of the brain, they're the ones who are causing these diseases or disorders because they're malfunctioning? Exactly, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's, yeah. Might, might it be a, like an overactivation of these microglia, like they're over-pruning and they're over-maintaining and over-killing, or may it just be that they're not working hard enough? It could definitely job? be both. So like, like I mentioned before, there's like this homeostasis, like mm -hmm. nitric oxide's good, too much is bad, not enough, also bad. So there's this happy medium where they have to produce enough to carry out the specific function, but if they produce too much, it can become pathological. Wow. Wow. Do you have any idea what might cause some of these uh, imbalances in you know? Um, not really, no. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's a, an area that we that's still a mystery for. Yeah. So for um, during stroke, there's a lot of um, neuronal nitric oxide synthase activity. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of I know that neurons produce, and there's been a bunch of studies that showed if you just inhibit that enzyme within neurons, stroke doesn't seem as bad of a disorder like the infarct mm -hmm. sizes are smaller and that sort of thing so tapping in and figuring out why or how inos and nos enos how these noses function how you can regulate them within the brain can help with a lot of neurological disorders but we don't even know how they're implicated in a lot of these disorders at the same time so there's sort of like stepping stones that we have to slowly take before we can sort of cure diseases and do this sort of sci-fi stuff that we hopefully one day can. So it sounds like this is an exciting time in neuroscience. There's a lot of just wildly undiscovered, un unknown territory for you to explore. Oh, for sure. And that's why I love starting off with this molecular basis because you start off with a good foundation, then eventually you can just branch out and get bigger, 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 look at sort of diseases later on. And we'll have like this underlying mechanism as to what's regulating these microglia. That's a fantastic uh, outlook and attitude towards science and towards <laughs> life, I think, as well. M Matt, you're in your fourth year now. Uh, one or two years left to go? Yes. Yeah. I lost <laughs> count. <laughs> what are your plans for when you're finishing? Are you looking for a postdoc? If any professors are out there, should they be uh, on the hunt for you? <laughs> um, yeah. So I would love to do a postdoc. Don't know where yet. Um, that's on the agenda, though. Um, I'd love to teach at some point. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's awesome. Right now, I'm just trying to do some work and get some publications. Would you still be interested in this sort of same field of research? Looking oh, yeah. With nitric oxide, yeah? I'd, microglia? I, um, yeah, I love microglia. I love everything about them. <laughs> They're like the most interesting <laughs> cell I've ever found in the body. Okay. Um, in my undergrad, I worked with um, Dr. Whitehead 
I attended his lab meetings and that's when I first fell in love with these cells. Hmm. So yeah, they look at stroke and inflammation and a lot of white matter inflammation and microglia were involved in that. And I just, yeah, just their morphology, how they look, they're just beautiful under a microscope. <laughs> so I would love to carry that on. Yeah, for sure. So passionate about yeah. such a small, small cell. <laughs> I think it's such a wonderful thing. Small but mighty. Small but mighty. Perhaps. So, I mean, surely you spend a, a ton of time in the lab. Um, I mean, forgive me for asking it this way, but do you have a life outside the lab? <laughs> what is it that you like to do as a, as a human being uh, yeah. outside of grad school? I like to think that I have a life outside the lab, even though the lab takes up a lot of my life. Um, yeah, so I like to stay healthy. I play volleyball once a week. Okay. Um, nice. I like to try to go to the gym. Um, but yeah, I also have some funner things that I take part in. Like <laughs> I actually brew beer. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that's, that's a nice fun hobby, kind of expensive, but still. That's awesome. Um, yeah. What are your preferred, uh, brews? <laughs> so I've only made two beers. One was a disaster. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard of that brand actually. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Coming this Is that whole. an ale or a lager? <laughs> it was an IPA, but every <laughs> bottle you open sort of turns into one of those uh, undergraduate science volcanoes, baking soda and vinegar sort of situation, and ah. just a big mess. Um, but yeah. Um, Learn your lessons and <laughs> take two is a little bit better? Yes. Yeah. So um, I steered away from IPAs, and I've actually just made a amber ale. It's delicious. All my friends loved it. Wow. Yeah. So... Hopefully one day I can mass produce my own beer. <laughs> well, maybe if all this, right? uh, this, this science stuff doesn't work out, you could open uh, your own craft brewery. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you're pulling one of these double whammies here. You're studying microglia, and then you're going to give the mass or the public something that's going to destroy their brain like alcohol, and you're going <laughs> to... Then I'll cure them. Exactly. <laughs> Got them on both ends of the stick there. I'm Good just an entrepreneur genius, at heart. Matt. Yes. <laughs> that's the perfect plan, really. <laughs> To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all the world's problems. <laughs> but that's about the, all the time we have for tonight. Again, thank you very much, Matt, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, for sure. I loved ha being here. Very enjoyable episode. Awesome. And so tonight, you were with me, Yimin Chen, Roger Hudson, and Vicky Telios at the producer's chair. GradCast is a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. You can catch us live on air every Tuesday night at 6 p.m. on CHRW Radio Western 94.9 FM. You can also check out our podcast archive at gradcast.ca. And of course, subscribe to our show with Apple, Google Play, or whatever your preferred podcast listening app is thanks for joining us and have a good night